0: Welcome to the Grace Point Church podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. There was this TV show that gained some popularity in little pockets of the country, and you may have heard of it. It was called Friends, and I loved Friends. Uh, Watched it all the time, watched it when it was on Nick at Night. But there was this one episode that I really, really liked. It was the episode uh, of Thanksgiving. It was one of the Thanksgiving episodes. And there was a character on this show, and her name was Rachel. And Rachel was not really a person that cooked. But she wanted to make something for Thanksgiving. So she found a recipe book, and she uh, looked up a recipe for an English trifle. Now, if you've never had an English trifle, then you are missing out. But a trifle is simply a layered dessert. So it starts with some cake, and and then there's whipped cream, and there's jelly, and sweet stuff, and fruit. So Rachel took the cookbook, and she went exactly by the book to create this trifle. Unfortunately, for those of you who have seen it, you know what's going to happen. Two of the pages stuck together. So as she was making this delicious trifle with layers of pound cake and fruit and whipped cream and jelly, there was a layer of ground beef and peas. And then more whipped cream and more pound cake and more jelly. So it came time for Thanksgiving and dessert came and they started to serve the dessert and they didn't, you know, the name of the show is Friends. So her friends didn't want to upset her because... She had made a mistake, so they all found a way to take part of the dessert and dispose of it where she couldn't tell that they didn't eat it, (laughs) except for one guy, and he was Ross. Now, you guys, if you watch the show, you know Ross, right? So he's eating it, and there's this look on his face when he's facing the plate, which is very different from the look on his face when he's looking up at her, and so He's eating it, and finally, when she turns away, he looks over at Joey, and he says, it tastes like feet. (laughs) It is very important to follow the directions, to follow the directions of the recipe. Because if you don't, you get a lovely dessert that tastes like feet. Now, men, you know We don't like that. We, in our nature, we don't like following directions. We don't read instructions. Is there anyone here who actually, who is a man, who actually reads instructions before you start doing something? When I was, um, when I was uh, just getting out of, out of my home and, and going to college, I remember that it was all the rage to buy these, uh, f- this furniture, this is way before Ikea, but this furniture that you would assemble yourself. You'd bring it home, and there'd be parts, and you'd put the shelves together, and boom, you got a desk. You'd put everything together, and boom, you've got a table. Well, I would do that all the time, but I would never read the instructions, ever. And every single time I did it, there was always parts left over. (laughs) And I thought, wow, why did they give us all these extra parts? And only later did I find out that there was a reason that there were parts left over because I had missed something. But we don't like following directions. Sometimes it's hard for us. And yet, oftentimes, people take the time to give us directions so that we will do what we're supposed to do and do it properly. Now, we have been, uh, we started last week uh, our series, Rest Stop, and we started looking at this obscure commandment of the Ten Commandments, you know, the big ten rules that that, that people talk about, it's in the Bible. We started talking about this really weird one that not a lot of people know about because we don't really hear about it a lot, but it's the fourth commandment and it talks to us about rest. So last week, we started talking about that, and we talked about why it's so important to get rest, physical rest for your body, and and why that affects everything that we do. So today, we're going to take a step further than that, because it's important for us to look at what the words say. Somewhere along the line, and if you're a Christian, what you believe is that God... Put together these instructions for us, and I think it's important for us to read it and to hear and to understand why. Now, here's the interesting thing. If we look at the Ten Commandments, there's ten of them, right? Five on one side, five on the other, and each of them are of varying different lengths. Some of them are as short as four, verse, four words, some of them are a little bit longer. The average number of words in each commandment is about 30. But the fourth commandment, the one that talks about rest, the one that explains this concept of Sabbath, is 98 words. 98 words. In fact, if you look at the Biblia Hebraica, which is the Jewish translation of Scripture, Old and New Testament, if you look at the, at the, at the, the Biblia Hebraica, when it writes it out in the original Jewish language, the fourth commandment takes up five and a half lines of, of, of script. That's how many lines of writing in Jewish, in Hebrew, that the fourth commandment takes up. It is greater than all of the other commandments put together when it's in the original Hebrew. So there must be something about this fourth That makes it important. And yet the fourth commandment is the most detailed and the longest commandment. And yet it is understood the least and overlooked the most. Understood the least and overlooked the most. Biblia Hebraica. So it's interesting, though, that a lot of people, and even if you were not a Christian, you've heard these commandments, right? You've heard, thou shalt not steal. You've heard, thou shalt not murder. And yet inside the fourth commandment is this, thou shalt not do any work one day a week. And if you look at it, it's the same sentence structure. It's the same speaking voice. Yet we all understand do not steal. We all understand do not murder. We have a little bit of trouble with don't do any work. We have a little bit of trouble with that. And what we have been talking about and what we're going to talk about today is that Sabbath, what the fourth commandment is about, Sabbath is essentially about restoration. Now last week we talked about how Sabbath is restoration for the body. We need physical rest. And we talked about how that physical rest also is rest of the mind. You get a break. You don't have to think about everything every day. Next, week, next time we come back together again, we're going to talk about the soul. But one thing that I think a lot of people miss is that this is the commandment that talks about restoration for society. Restoration for everybody. Not just us, but for everyone. And sometimes it's hard to imagine that an a instruction for us to take a day off Can actually have the effect of changing and in fact healing society. But it does. There are two places in Scripture where the Ten Commandments are written. One is in the book of Exodus, and the other one is in the book of Deuteronomy. And it's in this second reading and writing of the the commandments that we're gonna look at today. And this is the fourth. So this is how it's written: it says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, we talked about this last week, that we get thrown a little bit with that word holy. Because we think that, you know, holy, there's a light on us. We, and and, and uh, uh, you yeah, know, right? That's what we think of when we think of holy. But the word holy really only means one thing. It means set apart, set aside. That it's a little bit different than everything else. So he's this is God's talking, and he's saying, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Keep it separate than the rest of them. There's something special about it. As the Lord your God, and then look at the tense of the word. It as the Lord your God commanded you. See, he didn't say as the Lord your God commands you, this is a brand new thing. I'm starting this right now just for you. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, this is something that I did a long time ago. This is past tense. This has been here before. I commanded you. And then he says this, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Now, we get that, right? You work six days because the whole essential thing about this is you're going to take a day off. So six days you're going to work. And then he says, but the seventh day. Now, he doesn't say one of the seven. He says specifically the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Now, here's an interesting thing, and especially for some of you that I know that grew up uh, observing and keeping the Sabbath, we think that that word Sabbath specifically means Saturday. And it doesn't. Sabbath simply means rest. And there were lots of types of Sabbaths. He is talking about a very specific Sabbath. See, he's saying this is the Sabbath. This is not The Sabbath for your land. This is not the Sabbath for your finances. This is the Sabbath that belongs to the Lord. So there's something special about this day. And then he gives us the only instruction in Scripture on what we're supposed to do in order to keep that seventh day separate from every other day. He says, In it, you shall do no work. That's all it says. It says you're not going to do any work. Now, that work word work is kind of weird because some people, everybody interprets it, interprets it differently. Some people look at it and they think it's your vocation. So you can't work. You can't do your job on Saturday. Some people look at it as it's anything that you're doing that is not a religious activity. But essentially, this word work is talking about. Your identity. There is a relationship between your work, what you do for a living, and how you allocate your time. Right? Some of you work, and you work at different days. Some of you work on different shifts. So work and time are very related. And how you succeed at work has a lot to do with how you allocate your time. But in that relationship between work and time is also a relationship between work and your identity. You work because you get money. You get money, you buy a nice house, you buy a bigger car, you buy nicer clothes. It has to do with your identity. For some of you, your work is your title. It's what you do. In fact, for many people, the first thing that you say when you meet somebody is, or the second thing after high is, what do you do? We, in, we, we, we gain our identity and, and we present our identity as what our vocation is. So there is a relationship between all of this and a, a shallow reading of the fourth commandment, a shallow reading of these verses about rest, about taking a Sabbath. A shallow reading will only tell you that this is just about not doing anything one day a week. But when we look deeper at the words and look deeper at the meaning, we see that there's something else beyond that. So he says, in it you shall not do any work. And then he goes on to say, first you, you're not going to do any work. Throughout the history of man, we have worked. In fact, from the very beginning, if you didn't work, you didn't eat. If you didn't work, you didn't get shelter. If you didn't work, you didn't have clothes. Everything that we did was about work. Sabbath changed that. When God said, listen, you need to take a day off because where you were before, you worked seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, there was no break. I'm telling you, you've got to change that. You can't be essentially a slave to your work because if you're a slave to your work, everybody has a different reason why. Some people are slaves to their work because of the money. Some people are slaves to their work because of their identity, of who they are. Some people are slaves to their work because it gives them importance when they do their work. But even if you are a billionaire, if you have to work seven days a week, you are essentially a slave. Whether you are a slave to money or a slave to your identity or to your ego, whatever it is, if you have to work seven days a week, you are essentially a slave. And if you are rich, you are a rich slave, but you are still a slave. So he says, listen, you, can't, you shouldn't do any work on this day. On one day a week that I'm setting aside, you shouldn't do any work. You need a break. But then he goes on and he says this. He says, nor your son or your do- nor your daughter. I've got one of each, and I can tell you right now, there is nothing I can do to make them not work. If they want to do it, they're going to do it. All I can do as a parent is give them the opportunity to decide not to. See, at the time that this was written, the relationship between parents and children were completely different than it is today. In the time of Jesus, kids had no value. In fact, there were many families who wouldn't give their children names until they reached uh, um, like their teens because children died so quickly. This commandment gave children value. It said, you can't make them do anything you want them to do. They've got to take one day off just like you. And in this culture, the parents were the absolute ruler over the children. I wish we could do that today. It doesn't work. Do do you know that in this culture, not in the Hebrew culture after the Ten Commandments, but like in the Roman cultures and, and even in the Egyptian cultures, you could kill your children and there was no repercussion for it because they were considered your property. Doesn't that sound familiar today? So he says, no, not your son nor your daughter because this is my way of saying to you, that you need to keep and strengthen your family. See, if you don't have a... I know how this is. See, I have a son who is away in college. I have a daughter who is in graduate school and I never see them because they have different schedules and I have a different schedule. And so if you don't coordinate your schedules, you're not going to have any time to spend together. So think about for some of you, you understand what I'm saying. You're taking your kids everywhere. They're going to soccer practice, ballet. Some of you are taking them uh, to college or to to go shopping for clothes or when they're in town. This is God saying, listen, I need you to value the family unit. So you guys all need to take a break together. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to this and he says, nor your male servant nor your female servant. Now, this was significant because in this time, as we have seen in, throughout history, if you are a slave, you don't get a day off, right? Slaves didn't have rights. They didn't, they didn't get to do whatever they wanted to do. They had to work seven days a week. They had to work and do whatever it was that their master said that they had to do. Now, this scripture wasn't written specifically to abolish slavery, Yet it made it almost impossible for slavery to continue among Christians. Because can you imagine what that would be like? If you were at home and or at your work and you had a slave and you were yelling at him, screaming at him, you were whipping them, you were hurting them, you were abusing them. And then on the weekend, on your day off, you all go to church and you're sitting next to them? I mean, talk about awkward, right? This gave this commandment injected human dignity into everybody. It leveled the playing field. All of a sudden, there was a day when all of us were the same. There's a quote, and, and, and I want to read it to you. It says this, When the Walmart cashier and the bank president are both lying on picnic bank blankets at the park, it is hard to tell them apart. When two sets of grandparents are at the lake with their grandchildren feeding ducks, it is hard to tell The rich ones from the poor ones. See, when Barbara Brown Taylor wrote this book, and I can't for the life of me think of what the title is, but when she wrote this book, what she was saying is this, is that this practice of taking a day off, it levels the playing field. It, for one day a week, erases all of our socioeconomic cultural differences and says, it doesn't matter if you are white-collar or blue-collar. It doesn't matter if you are rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you are employed or unemployed. One day a week, we recognize that we are all the same. And then it goes on. It says, you got you, you got your kids, you got the people that work for you. And then he says, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle. This is the first recorded national law in history to give rights to animals. And then it wasn't like now where people have pets all the time. Back then they didn't have that. The animals worked. But what this did was was it made it difficult for animal cruelty to continue. Because if you give your animal one day off, it's hard to treat them badly on the rest of the days. And this is the first time that we are seeing God inject into him, into his law, a recognition of his creation other than humans. It's not just us. It's his entire creation that deserves a rest. And then he says this nor your stranger who is within your gates. Now, man, it is hot up here. A lot of people read this and they interpret it as if you have a guest in your house, right? If you have a guest in your house, then you shouldn't let him work. But that's not what that phrase means. If you translate it into the Hebrew, that word stranger is actually translated as sojourner, traveler. It is a person who has come through your town come through your community and decided to stay there. Now, there are important aspects of this, but one of the important aspects was was that there was a recognition that if you took only six days and someone else took seven days, that they might get ahead. There's also a recognition that if you took six days and you gave your servants a day off because they're servants, because they're lower on the socioeconomic scale they may want to work for that guy who's open on the seventh day, who who continues to work seven days a week. Which is why after he says, nor your stranger who is within your gates, he clarifies it and says, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Now, why would he say that when just a few lines ago, he already said, don't let your male or female servants work on that day? We know this. because Some of us have done this. If your job is six days and you have a day off and there's somebody over there that's hiring, what do you do for that seventh day? You go work that job, right? Because it's usually double pay with a differential and a nighttime and weekends and holidays. And all of a sudden you're making way more money on the one day than you're making on the rest of the days. So he accounted for all of that. And he said, you need to let them level the playing field and don't give your servants temptation to not take their day And to take a break. And then he says this. And remember. 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 Don't forget. There's an important aspect of this. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And in this verse, in this part of the verse... He injects for the first time this idea that we need to be aware of the social injustices in our world, and we have an obligation to do something about them. This is the first place where we read of it, because he says, remember that you were a slave. Remember, you had no rights. Remember, there was a time in the history of you, not your nation, not your culture, but you, specifically you, where the only law... That existed was whatever the nearest Egyptian said to you. Imagine how it was to live in that culture. You're walking down the mall and there's an Egyptian. And you're just having having a leisurely stroll. Maybe you're out to buy something. And the Egyptian next to you says, come and shine my shoes. And you have no choice but to do exactly what he says. Because the law is that you're a slave and you do whatever it is that they say. This was where they lived. This is how they lived their life. And God is reminding us when he says, and remember, you at one time were a slave. At one time, you were subject to this. At one time, you had no other choice but to do what the guy next to you said. And then he reminds them, you were once a slave. And the Lord your God, he brought you out of that. He took you out of that. From there, by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. And then he says, therefore, he says, because of all of that. He says, because I took you out of that place where you had no hope, you had no life, you had no recreation, you had no rest. I took you out of that. And you're not a slave anymore. So because you're not a slave anymore... You don't have to work seven days a week. And that's why he says, because of all of that, I am giving you this command to keep the Sabbath day. It's interesting that word command because, you know, the the Jewish people who were originally, this is their scriptures, the Jewish people don't translate that word command into command. They translate that word into statement. Think about that for a second. The Ten Commandments, which is what we hear. We, we've, you know, for those of you who are Christians, you know you've grown up with it, you've seen it. The Ten Commandments to the people who it was originally given to was not the Ten Commandments, not the ten, you have to do this. It was the Ten Statements. And when we read this fourth commandment, And for some of you who have grown up being taught and told about what it means to observe this day, we read it as a requirement and an instruction. And it says, don't do work. So this is a penalty for you. You can't do work. Think of it for a moment from a different perspective. Imagine for a moment that it was not you can't, but instead, It was out of my love for you. You don't have to. See, back then, there was a Jewish law that said that you could only walk a mile. The farthest that you could walk was a mile, because if you walked more than a mile, it would be considered work. And so, when we look at that, we think, wow, how horrible that is. That you could only walk a mile. How restrictive that was. And yet, to the first people who got that, it wasn't a restriction. It was a blessing. It was this wonderful thing that God said, listen, you don't have to go a mile. That's the essence of the fourth commandment. It wasn't restrictive to you. It was a blessing to you. It was a blessing to all of us. Not that you have to do this, but you get to do this. There's a theologian, and I can't pronounce his name, uh, but he wrote a book called The Lost Meaning of the Seventh Day, and this is what he wrote uh, about the, the seventh day. He says this, referring to the fourth commandment. He says, legislation of this kind in the ancient world prioritizes from the bottom up and not from the top looking down. See, this was new. Giving first considerations to the weakest and most vulnerable members of society. Think about that for a second. Because even in the freedom that we enjoy today, one of the things that is most frustrating to to the population in general is that it always seems to be that the laws are written to benefit the people at the top and hope that it trickles down to the people at the bottom. And yet, in this instruction, in this, this life, uh, uh, I don't even want to say commandment, but but this this concept that we have of, of taking a day off, that what it is, is it it starts at the bottom and flows up. See, he didn't say that that the slave owners need to take a day off, he started with the slaves. He started with the the most vulnerable, the children. He started with those that didn't even have any rights, the animals. He started with the people that we didn't want around, the, the foreigners in our city. That's where he started with this rule, with the weakest and most vulnerable members of society. Those who need rest the most, the slave, the resident alien, the beast of burden, are singled out for special mention. In the rest of the seventh day, the underprivileged, even mute animals find an ally. That is the beauty of this statement, of this instruction. It's not that it is a burden to us. It is that God recognizing who we are understood that we need to be able to have a place, a time to restore and rest. And the beautiful thing about it is, is that restoration is not just for us. But when we restore, we restore our society. We restore our culture. There is a, a Jewish practice called Shabbat. And Shabbat is, it, it, it means Sabbath. But Shabbat is, a, is, is, is how they prepare for this day of rest. In fact, it's interesting because the Jewish uh, people, they observe the the seventh day Sabbath as it's read in Scripture, so they, they observe Saturday as the holy day. They start preparing for Saturday on Wednesday night, which for them is Thursday, but it's still Wednesday night is when they start preparing for Saturday. That's how much they value it. And at Shabbat, And this is something that my family uh, used to do quite a bit, is that we would have a Shabbat meal because that's what the Shabbat is. It's a meal on Friday night to welcome this day of rest. At Shabbat, they would light two candles. The two candles represented the two tellings of 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 the commandments in Scripture. The one that was found in Exodus and the one that was found in Deuteronomy. But it was also more than that. Because in the candle that they lit, in the first candle that they lit, which was for the fourth instruction, the fourth statement as it was in Exodus, that statement ends in, Because I created the world and I took a day off, you're gonna take a day off. So they light this candle to represent rest. In essence, what they're saying, what, what is being said is this is that made in God's image, that's you and me, we are made in God's image, you too shall rest. I'm made in God's image. He worked six days, he took a day off, he rested. I need to do that too. But in the second telling, in Deuteronomy, it ends with, I am the God who took you out of slavery. I am the God who granted you freedom. And so in the second telling, it is made in God's image. You too are free. You too shall rest. You need the rest. But don't forget that because you have the opportunity to take that day, that you are not a slave to... To the culture, you are not a slave to your job, you are not a slave to your career, you are not a slave to your bank account, you are not a slave to your 401k, you are not a slave to the house you live in, you are not a slave to the car you drive, you are not a slave, you are free. But that freedom not only extends to you, but it extends out to your family, to your employees to the people you work with, and all the way out to our society. I mean, think about this for a moment. If you were to take that day off, if you got permission from whoever it is that you needed to get permission from to take one day off a week, if you practiced Sabbath, who would you be setting free when you practice Sabbath? Who are you setting free when you practice Sabbath? For some of you, it's you. Right, You're working yourself to death. That's all you think about. That's all you do. It's just all about work. You need to set yourself free. You need to have that time to refresh, to renew, to restore. For some of you, if you practice Sabbath, you would be setting your family free, your children free you would be giving them the freedom to be able to sit down together for a meal with all of you together, to hang out at the beach, to go to the park, to do something together as a family. You would be setting them free for that. For some of you, it's your employees. It's the people you, that work for you. That if you took the day off, they would take the day off. By you practicing Sabbath, you changed their lives. For some of you, if you practiced Sabbath, you would be giving freedom to your competitors. To your work competitors. Listen, I was in sales for a lot of years. And sales, you, you sell or you're not making any money. And you've got, there's only a, a limited amount of things to sell, a limited amount of people to buy... So, you've got to sell, and the more you sell, the less someone else sells, right? But if you were to back off, how much freedom would you be able to give to the people who are competing who also would be able to back off? See, this commandment is not just for us, it's not just a selfish thing that is so that we can benefit, nor is it something to punish us. At its essence, Sabbath is about restoration. And when we take that seriously, when we take the practice of Sabbath seriously and take that day and set it aside, it has the power to restore. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.